pray that you would uh, speak uh, to the folks who are here today, uh, that you would, uh, your spirit would be present, that it would, uh, that it would uh, just go beyond my words and fill the folks who are here with, with uh, just your son. Help them to become more and more like you. Help them to know you more through this through this period of uh, hearing the word preached. And, and Lord God, I pray that you would help me to to um, just find the truth in your word, Lord. Just just help me to help me to find what's there. Help me to find the treasures and bring them out and show them. Um, pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, my uh, least favorite uh, Sunday morning or Saturday morning is it? I guess the the comics in the newspaper are Sunday mornings, right? What you know, and you get all the color ones. And growing up, I would always, uh, you know, my parents would get the paper, and I'd, I'd run and grab it. And the funniest parts were always the comics, you know. And now it's the editorial pages, uh, particularly with the Mountaineer. Like anybody who writes a column there, it's a big joke. Uh, come on, that was nothing, not a word. All right. Um, one of my least favorite Saturday morning comics, but I read it like because it was always one panel. And so you couldn't help but read it, but it was always not funny and annoying. But um, the Family Circus comics, and and uh, in particular, you'd have those uh, those ones where like little Billy has to go to the grocery store, and Mom says go straight there, and you know, and it's literally him going everywhere except the grocery store. Like, and they got a little dotted path for him wandering around for three and a half hours, getting where he's going, and. And uh, I, I was thinking about that this morning as I was thinking about the Christian life and how often it is that um, we set out to go where we're going and we end up everywhere but where we planned on on heading to along the way. And, and uh, for me, I, I was thinking about that this week as I, you know, I, I set out, uh, I went to college, like actually it's before that when I became a Christian. When I was 15, very early on, I decided I want to be a minister. I want to, I want to um, share the gospel with people. I want to do this thing. And um, I went off to college, you know, several years later, still with that in my heart, and uh, various academic challenges that I encountered uh, changed that direction for my life, and I did not uh, end up going to seminary right away. Uh, mostly because I would not have been accepted to hardly any seminary based on my academics, um, but for a handful of other reasons. And I, I can look at that and say, oh, well, this is what I wanted. This is my plan. And I ended up going a different direction. Actually, I went to Texas and I got married. And um, that's when I discovered that youth ministry was a thing. I had never even heard of a youth ministry up in, minister up until that point in my life. And and I went into that, and I thought, this is what I'm going to do forever. Like, I never want to do anything except youth ministry. This is my calling. This is what I'm here for. And that was all the way up until I went into mental health. And then I swore up and down I would never work for another church again, ever. Uh, and I was going to do uh, mental health work for the rest of my, you know, of my career, that this was it. And... After a few years of that, um, I was told I needed to get a master's degree as a part of my like professional development, and I tried to get an MBA. And as it turns out, like the MBA, like the academics involved, well beyond me. Um, and I ended up going to seminary, and I swore up and down I would not go to seminary, and I went. And and as I went to seminary, I realized I was being called back to church work, 
and and I didn't want to do it, but I, I felt like God was calling me, and here I am. And when it came time to look for a, a church job, because I felt like it was time to, to go out and, and leave mental health, um, um, I said, well, anywhere but Montana. I'm not even kidding. That was when I sat down and I, and I had this mental work through and I began looking at openings. I said, anywhere but Montana. And yeah, <laughs> here we are. Um, I, I feel like I am a little Billy in a family circus cartoon, only I'm sometimes funny. Um, and I've taken every route on the way to where I'm going. And, and I've ended up here, and it's good, and I'm happy about it. And I forgot to set my timer, so the first four minutes is free. Uh, no. <laughs> um, but I feel like little Billy, like I've been everywhere in the world on the way to the objective. Like I knew God called me to do ministry and I did everything in the world except that. And every time I've said, I will not do anything else. It feels like God has laughed at me and said, we'll see. Um, but I don't think I'm in bad company. I, I, I think of the story of Joseph and how Joseph started out with dreams and visions. And God said, well, look, I'm not comparing myself to Joseph. Don't hear me doing that. Uh, he had dreams and visions, and he ends up, you know, believe, like he's told, well, your brothers will bow down to you, and you'll be this great king. And he starts telling his brothers, and they fake murder him and sell him into slavery. And he's a slave for a while, and then he's in prison, and then he's here, and then he's there. And eventually he ends up where God is going to send him. But, like little Billy, he goes everywhere on the way except where he planned on going. And the scriptures are full of that. And I, I am growing increasingly to believe that the side quests that God builds into our lives are, are oftentimes the point rather than diversions. And uh, we're going to dig into this idea um, in Acts chapter 18. Uh, we're going we're to talk about a life-changing detour, specifically as it relates to a pair, a couple that Paul meets Along the way, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, 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 I, whatever. Um, and, and so he meets them, and this is the point where he meets them. And we're going to dig into this a little bit before we really get into the next section of Acts. And I'm going to try really hard not to detour too far on the way. So I, I have cut this sermon 12 times uh, since I wrote it. And, and the main point, guys, the main point, when we encounter difficulties, when we encounter counter like our big detours in life when it seems like God is throwing hardships at us, when it seems like there's a storm directly in front of us the entire way, when we end up stopped or marooned or stranded or broken or hurt or whatever, a lot of times that is just how God is taking us where we need to go. And, and I can trace back in my own life where had I gone to seminary right away, it would have been a disaster. It would have been an absolute train wreck carnival fire disaster i i was not ready for the work that i you know the work that's involved here and i wouldn't have been ready four years later and i guess if i hadn't met jess and married her i definitely would have been ready like like every step along the way has prepared me for where i've ended up and got to shape me and sometimes broken me and and so it is with all of like the the characters in scripture and i'm willing to bet that there's more than a few folks in the room today we're saying, yes, I have been there. TJ's nodding. Um, 
But these are how God shapes us. They're his tools in the process. And so we're going to dive into this. Um, 18.1, we're only doing four verses today. We'll see if I can do them quickly. This is the chunky part that I'm going to not do much of today. I may do a video if I can build up the organizational prowess to do it. Um, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So Paul preaches a sermon in Athens, right? Argues with the philosophers. They basically scoff and mock and chase him out of town. And Paul says, well, forget this, I'm leaving. And he goes to Corinth. Um, in ancient Corinth, uh, a couple of things really quickly. Corinth is like of the churches that Paul planted. We get more information on Corinth than any other church he's involved in planting. And in fact, we get to see stages of the development. We get to see parts of the organization. And we get to see like all kinds of things that are happening there. And so like it's a big deal to understand this. Um, Corinth was an ancient seaport. Uh, it was um, the easiest like – so if you were coming out of Greece and on your way up to Italy or if you were um, you know, going from Italy to Greece – uh, Corinth made the trip a lot easier. And I'm going to explain really quickly why. I don't have my laser pointer. Sorry. Um, it's on a detour somewhere. Uh, at that time, you did very little open sea sailing. It was just not a very safe thing to do. It was very rare. You would generally sail along the, the shore, and you would stop at ports and refill and everything else. And so if you were traveling in that direction, you would usually – come down and hit this little spot right here and then unload your ship. Sometimes you would take the ship out of the water and haul it over land and then it would be picked up at a port on the other side. And because of this, Corinth was rich. And I mean like like monocle and top hat kind of rich, like rich, rich. Um, a little better view here. This is where Athens is. It's over here in Greece. And Corinth, you can see sort of this little spot. This is Paul's travels through the area. And then one last one so you can really see. It was just this little stretch right here. And actually, one of the emperors tried to build a canal, but it never got finished. Um, but the end result was um, Corinth had a lot of trade. It had a lot of money running through. And there were a lot of sailors hung out there, right? Like, as sailors would come there, they'd be on the open sea, and then they'd come there. And we all know that sailors, when they arrive at port and they have time off their ship, all they want to do is go to choir practice. Um, which leads me to my sex, second point. <laughs> Dang it. There was nothing Freudian. That was just a misspeak. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Corinth was like the richest metropolitan area, and like to some degree, it even rivaled Rome. Like, like the market in Corinth was bigger than any single market in, in Rome. And there were temples everywhere, and it was a place, like it was known as a denizen. In fact, all over the world, people would say, um, if they were speaking euphemistically of somebody who was kind of of loose morals, they would say, oh, he's, he, she lives like a Corinthian, or he lives like a Corinthian. You know, and, and the idea was that they were loose and they were drunk all the time and caroused and everything else. Um, there were a lot of pagan temples there. And interestingly enough, um, there was uh, Aphrodite, the goddess of love, right? Like they was not the, the patron goddess of this particular city. Um, but there were three temples to her there, at least. 
that, that they were able to excavate. And part of that was because um, she was also like sort of the, the goddess who watched over, you know, the Greek gods. They would like the god of war and the god of peace and the god of love. She was the god of lo- goddess of love and prostitution. Um, if you're a child and you don't know what that word means, ask your mom and dad when you get home. I'm not discussing it today. You're welcome. Um, it was a wild town, and Paul arrives there to plant a church. Now, think about that for a second. Like, and when you start like sort of digesting that, you can understand like when you get into the book of Corinthians why there's so much craziness. I mean, the place was nuts. Um, so when Paul arrives in, in Corinth, the very first thing he does is he meets Priscilla and Achilla, um, who had been forced out of Rome by the emperor Claudius. Um, I don't remember if I, did I cut that? No, I did not. Um, there he met a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, there's a bunch of stuff going on here. We're going to try and go through it real quick. These guys were probably already Christians, right? It says that... Um, that uh, Achilla was probably was Jewish, right? And it is probably the case that he was a Jewish convert. Um, Priscilla may have been a Roman citizen. There's a lot of interesting discussion around that. I'm not getting into today because uh, that would be a rabbit trail. And we're not doing the Billy thing this morning. We're we'll going to see if we can do a straight line. Um, they were kicked out. This is probably around 49 A.D. And how do we know that? Well, there's a Roman historian, Suetonius, um, who. In the book, The Twelve Caesars, he says, as the Jews were making constant disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he expelled them from Rome. He meaning uh, Claudius, Emperor Claudius. So what was going on in, in like 49, there was enough Christians in Rome that had like converted, like these Jewish believers who had converted to Christianity, and there was suddenly conflict surrounding these guys. And this conflict was getting louder and louder and louder, but there were so many Jewish people in this city that it was difficult to manage it. In fact, there was probably around 40,000 Jewish folks living in Rome at this time. And in the end, Claudius said, all right, that's it. All of you get out of here. And most historians don't think every Jew from the city was kicked out because there were just so many of them. It was probably one synagogue or a few synagogues. But um, Priscilla and Aquila, they were people of wealth and means and presence, and they are suddenly displaced. They're kicked out of their home. And they end up in, you know, like, like they're, they're in a center of the empire, the capital, where all of the money is, where, like, ministry opportunities are, where they've established their life or whatever, and suddenly they're on the road. And they end up on the road for a number of years. Um, and the first stop is Corinth, where they've set up a shop. Uh, so we're going to go on from there. Priscilla and Aquila, their presence made it possible for Paul to be self-supporting during his time in Corinth, right? This is an important component of the larger story. Had Paul not encountered these guys, he would not have been in the same position, and a great deal of what happens after would be very different. Their showing up and meeting Paul and joining together changed the course of the church there. Um, That's not a small thing, right? And I just want to kind of hit, hit pause here and point out These guys probably did not plan to move to Corinth, right? But having done so, 
they end up at exactly the right place and time for God to use them in a very different and very important way. Okay, and and it's not a thing to take lightly because oftentimes we can just like this is flyover country in the text. Paul went to see them and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Now, real quick, a side note, it's generally accepted that Paul is a tent maker. It's a very likely version of it. There's actually it's possible he was a leather worker because the phrases, the phrasing, the wording is very similar. It's also possible that Paul worked with goat hair like I was reading all about this it's kind of interesting but whatever it was these guys had an exact talent I think the goat hair thing is kind of interesting in particular because they would make tent out of this woven goat hair and like it was a specialty of where Paul came from but whatever it is Paul had a gift set a set of um, um, talents and a and a potential to work and he meets people who are in the same business, who are Christians, who are in this community. It's likely that they had a shop in Corinth, and these shops would be an open lower level, and then they would live above it. And so Paul would have sat all day in an open-air building working in the marketplace, likely, or near a marketplace. And so people would have come in and out, and what would Paul have done? We probably would have preached the whole time because that's about all Paul did, right? And so Paul finds a job that puts him in a position, could have put him in a position where he could work. Um, a couple other things that go with this. Uh, Paul being self-sufficient in this setting, like all of the, the side results, first off, he's able to evangelize. Secondly, there was this group of people called cynics, right? Now, cynics then don't mean the same thing as cynics now. Cynics were like philosophers who would sort of wander from place to place preaching, and they would live on the proceeds of teaching and preaching. And so they'd show up in cities and stand on street corners and speak, and people would come by and throw change in their hat or whatever, and they would live on that. And there was this whole philosophy around basically talking in public to make money. I would never support such a thing. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So... Paul, like Paul's in a community where people are going to look at him and say, oh, it's another one of those guys. And if you ever live in a city, has anybody here lived in a city? Like if you, if you live in a city uh, like, a, like Chicago or something, you go places and people pester the heck out of you to give them money. It is obnoxious. I mean, and, and like it is constant. It's, oh, well, I can give you directions. I can do this. I can do that. Just leave me alone. I'm not giving you money. Don't touch my shoes. I don't want them shined. I don't want this. I don't want that. And so these guys would have looked at these guys and said, well, hey, this Paul guy is traveling all over the world talking. I wonder what he's doing. And so Paul is able to step into this role outside of what they would have expected. And it creates space for him to evangelize in a very clean and very separate setting. And actually, Paul acknowledges that in his letters to Corinth, where he says, hey, I didn't even make money off of you people. I preached to you for a really long time, and I didn't ask you for anything. I never asked you for anything. And all of these false teachers who are coming in, these super apostles, they're here, like, like getting rich off of you people. Are you paying attention? They're robbing you, and I didn't. And so, like, their presence there was perfect. And actually, they end up leaving with Paul and traveling around and ministering with him. And when they're able to go back to Rome, because like eventually, like Claudius died, and his, uh, I think, nephew, I'm not positive off the top of my head, became emperor next, and the emperor lifted that ban, and they were able to come back. 
And Paul talks about them in the book of Romans. They're actually mentioned six times in the New Testament, right? Um, Because they got kicked out of Rome. And it's almost like it was too convenient to have been an accident. Um, And I want to stop on that for half a second here. Because a lot of times we look at these weird events in our lives where we think this is what I'm going to do when we end up over here. Or we think once I've saved up enough money, I'm going to invest in this. Or I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get into this career. And what is it? There's a Jewish proverb, men make plans and God laughs. Um, And I think this is an example of that. Uh, so we're going to go on. The other thing that comes out of this is they create a base of operations that Paul settles into and he ministers there for 18 months. Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half. That is not a small thing. He spends more time in Corinth than he did in like any of the other second missionary journey spots. And he's able to really drill in and establish and make disciples. And, and like the church there is huge and actually is a pretty good case to be made that it was multiple churches in the city that's being addressed by the letter because Paul was there long enough and evangelized long enough and the city was big enough and there were enough people hearing the gospel and like believing that he was able to build like a serious organization, like a serious church. 18 months because he could make a living. Because he lived there and all of a sudden it wasn't so easy to drive him off. He wasn't an itinerant preacher. He had a job. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. And so, like, he goes out, and he spends his time preaching and teaching in this city. He is there, he is present, he's there for a long time. The couple traveled with Paul, and they did additional mission work with him, right? And eventually they went back to Rome. And, like, every indication is that these two folks, they they became huge in the church. Like, that instead of just being tent maker converts in Rome, they went all over the world and preached and evangelized and ministered and like did real significant work for God, which would never have happened if they hadn't been chased out in the first place. If they have, hadn't ended up in an uncomfortable place, like away from home, if these like miserable circumstances hadn't caught up with them. Um, what are the concepts behind this? This is four verses, right? And I'm not trying to pull four verses out of context. I'm going to throw a few more things at you. But I want to make this very clear. God uses circumstances, our difficulties, our detours, and everything else in our lives to accomplish his goals. And what we're called to do is trust him. That's hard, right? That's hard because I don't go through the Burger King drive through and say... Just give me whatever you think I trust you, right? No, no, no. I want it served to me. I do not want it. You know, if I went to a doctor and the doctor said, all right, I know what's wrong. Um, Go pick up the pills at the clinic and never tells me what's, you know, or at the pharmacy and never tells me what the deal is. I'm going to be uncomfortable with that, right? Or Eric, I found some big problems. Um, I need you to be in the hospital next week for surgery. Here's your time to show up. You want what now? What's wrong? What are we doing? What part of me are you cutting up? Like, tell me stuff. But sometimes it's just not the way God works because God needs us to trust him. But 
If God is God, if he is all-knowing, if he is all-powerful, if he loves us dearly, then he loves us enough to do right by us when the time comes, when we're in an uncomfortable place. Um, and hopefully I get the right quote here. I have two quotes I wanted to share from this book. This is uh, Trestle Surrender to Divine Providence. It's uh, written by a monk. Uh, if you would be convinced that in all he allows and in all that happens to you, God has no other end in view but your real advantage and your eternal happiness, reflect a moment on all he has, t- ha- has done for you. You are now suffering, but remember that the author of this suffering is he who chose to spend his life suffering to save you from everlasting suffering, whose angel is always at your side guarding your body and soul by his order, who sacrifices himself daily on the altar to expiate your sins and appease his heavenly father's anger, who comes lovingly to you, in the Holy Eucharist, is a Catholic fellow, I'm sorry, and whose greatest pleasure is to be united with you. We must be very ungrateful to mistrust him if after he shows such proofs of his love and to imagine that he can intend us harm. Um, God teaches and shapes and acts through our hurt. Is that something I'm going to understand? really, a lot of times, absolutely not. There are some horrible things that have happened in my life that I look back and say, wow, God, I I really want an explanation when I get there, right? There are crushing moments. There, There are times where we lose people or we lose things or we find ourselves lost or abused. But ultimately, if God is good, if God loves us, if God is watching over us, if he has a plan, then sometimes we just have to stop and say, all right, God, teach me what you're going to teach me. Send, you, send me where you're going to send me. Help me to be your person. Draw me closer. And I don't offer that as a pat answer. That's an answer that is crummy, right? There are days when we just hurt. And part of what we need to understand is that in those days, God cries with us. Proverbs 19. Many are the plans in a a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. What does this mean? It means if God has a purpose and a plan for my life that will bring him glory or save others, or help me to overcome some idolatry or some connectedness or something that I'm not even meant to understand. It's better that God's purpose prevails than my heart gets what it wants. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is Romans 8. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. Oh my gosh, that sounds like a predestination verse, and I'm not trying to do that. I am pointing out, if God sees my life and he knows where I'm going, and he has already planned out where I'm going, what he wants me to look like when he's done, then that pathway is going to work out for the good of myself and for his glory. Um, I, uh, I watched uh, an actor do a replication of a C.S. Lewis talk where he said that uh, talks about like a sculptor looking at a block of marble and seeing what the end result will be and then going forth and breaking pieces off 
And to be the block of marble can be nothing but hell at the time. Right? Hurts. Pieces get broken and chipped. And like sanded off and everything else. But if God is working through all these things to bring me to himself for my good because he loves me and sent his son to die for me, then I have to trust that that plan is his plan. And so it is with our two guys, Priscilla and Achilla. So it is with Paul and all of his suffering where he says, in all of this stuff, I came to understand that that when I am weak, when I suffer, when I struggle, that I'm strong because I have to lean on God's strength. We can easily become disheartened by this, but God doesn't abandon us. Um, His will and plan can't be thwarted. Let's say that again. Like, you can't mess up his plan. I talk to folks all the time over the years who have said, what if I've messed up God's plan for my life? Like, you think more of yourself than is warranted. If you tried as hard as you could, you couldn't mess it up, right? Romans 8, again, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we will face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And actually, it's not that difficult to take the next step and say that the love of Christ, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord can take each and every one of those moments and use it to grow us and shape us, teach us perseverance Teach us to trust in pain and difficulty. Teach us to find peace and hardship and fear. Like the whole nine yards, it is all there. But that first step is to say God is in charge. Last concept. Um, Often difficulty serves to prepare us for work we'll do later. Whether it's suffering through outside circumstances or those that we make ourselves. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in endurance, in troubles, in hardship, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in severe, sincere, not severe, love. In truthful speech and the power of God with weapons of righteousness in our hand and in, in our right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten yet we are not killed, sorrowful yet we are always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. There's a lot there. The reason I'm including this is, honestly, some of the best ministry I see done is done by people who have stood in awful places. Um, I love Chuck Colson. I'm humbled when I read that guy's writings. He was a part of the Nixon administration, and he went to prison because he committed crimes, and that's just all there is to it. And in prison, he found Christ, and he spent the rest of his life doing prison ministry. Holy what? 
God used this rotten circumstance, these awful choices, and he turned it into something amazing. Some of the best ministers I know who work with abuse victims and, and sexual assault victims and everything else have endured it first, given it to Christ, and become better because of it. Some of the best ministers I know who work with kids were lonely kids, hopeless kids. And they see those kids and they love them and they minister to them. Like God will take anything you experience and endure and use it to his glory. And ultimately what that like involves is us submitting to him. Us looking for opportunities to serve him. Us trusting when we're in places we don't want to be. So how do we apply this? Well, first off, wherever you end up, like it's important to stop and say, doesn't matter how I got here, I got work to do. Right? I, sometimes it drives me nuts. I'll tell my kids, I need you to do clean the house. We're cleaning the house today. And I say, all right, clean your room. And they end up in the living room. They're like, why aren't you cleaning? Well, because I'm not in my room. Does the living room look clean? What are you doing? You know, it's not like the whole house isn't a mess. It's not like there's not work to do everywhere. Um, wherever God sends us, there is work to do. You will never find a spot where there's nobody who's lost, where there's nobody who, who doesn't need somebody to help them grow. And by the way, like, that is huge. There are folks all around us who are lonely, who are lost, who are hopeless, who need somebody to encourage them or pray for them or just call them up and say, hey, I love you, and, like, I was praying for you, and I just wanted to say hi. Like, everything that we have in front of us, all around us, at all times is opportunity. And God puts us in the places where he puts us so we can do those things. Nothing's an accident. Nothing. So wherever you are, look for places to work. Look for places to be Jesus to the folks around you. Even if everybody's a believer, be Jesus to those folks. Because believe me, like, like there are a lot of believers who have encountered other believers who don't really look like anything but awful. And they need Jesus. They need people to love them. Hardship, difficulties, detours, losses, like all of that junk, it can all serve Christ, but we have to be willing to give it to him. I, I remember when I first went into, uh, started doing recovery work, and I first started quitting, like, the drinking, like, and, and getting my life back in line, I was terrified that anyone would find out about it. And I, for a long time, I started, I wouldn't go to AA meetings because I was afraid other believers would see me going or find out I was doing that and know about my sin. And, like, I was terrified of it. And over time, like, like I got more comfortable with that, but I was still afraid. I'm still a little afraid every time I say it in front of you guys. Um, but eventually that fear made me realize everybody else has that. You know, the husband who's struggling with pornography or, or you know, the wife who is so depressed she can't get up in the morning. Everybody's ashamed of that stuff. And if I can say it out loud, then other people get a little bit of permission to do the same, right? If I can give that to Jesus and say, I'll be humble and I'll be vulnerable and I'll put my broken grossness out in front of people over and over again, then other people will be able to do it because I'm giving them permission. I'm making it safe. It's not, it'll never be easy. But if we're willing to use these things, if we're willing to put these things out there and say, Christ, what do you want to do with this? He'll use it. Trusting God requires that we pray. We've got to talk to him. We have to look for him in different things. Because it's easy, man. You ever have like something really come apart and you stop and say, you know what, God? I didn't need this today. Anyone? 
Anyone done that yet today? Because I have. (laughs) We have to stop and look because it's so easy to be negative and to say, oh, my gosh, everything sucks. Everything's terrible. Pardon my, sorry. Um, I say the wrong things I'm not supposed to say, and I'm preached too long, and I do all this other stuff wrong. Like, in reality, if I'm willing to back up and look and say, well, maybe God used that in a way I didn't expect. Maybe this is a part of the plan, and I just need to be patient right now. Maybe where I'm at right now is, is where I'm supposed to be. Like, like we, need, you know, we need to be encouraged, and we need to encourage each other. We need to look for good counsel. You know those folks that you talk to that will commiserate with you? You know who I'm talking about? That guy? I got a handful of folks I call sometimes. I got people who will call, I can call, and they'll complain with me. And if I'm in the mood to be in a bad mood, I know who to call, right? I know guys that will put my feet to the fire every time I call them. Barney is sometimes that guy. And I know guys that will never let me get away with nonsense. Like, I need counsel. I need, I know it seems like I know everything, but it's only because I'm surrounded by people who do. And I call those guys and they kick my butt. Like, I have to look for folks when I'm lost or when I feel hopeless or when I feel like nothing will ever get better. And finally, i got to look for the Spirit's guidance. That is not a warm and fuzzy feeling in your belly. There are too many people who believe this feels right. It's what I should do. It's the Spirit guiding me. I've heard people say they should cheat on their wives because the Spirit was guiding them because it felt right. And it's like, that wasn't the Spirit, buddy. (laughs) It was a Spirit, but not the Holy Spirit. Um, real guidance from the Spirit requires that we be in a relationship with Him. Right? Some of us have the best people in the world around us to pull us out of the mud when we fall into it, to give us direction and guidance, but we don't ask. We're too busy going to the guy who's going to commiserate with us, right? Or sitting by ourselves and, you know, wallowing in misery it's easy to do getting ourselves nice and angry folks what i'm talking about is a harder path in life i don't think priscilla and Aquila like had an easier life because of any of this but i think that they bought god glory i think god used them in huge ways and i've seen god use people in huge ways because they're just willing to stop and say what do you want me to do I'm going to close with a poem just for John. As I understand it from John, it's three points in a poem, right? Uh, this is by a guy named George MacDonald. Uh, he was uh, actually the writing mentor of uh, Lewis Carroll. And uh, he was a hero of C.S. Lewis. Um, and like many think he's the modern, like the pioneer of modern uh, fantasy writing. Uh, and he wrote a poem, The Path I Feared. I said... Let me walk in the field. And he said, no, walk in the town. And I said, there are no flowers there. And he said, no flowers, but a crown. I said, but the skies are black. There's nothing but noise and din. And he wept as he sent me back. There's more, he said, there is sin. I said, but the air is thick and the fogs are veiling the sun. He answered, yet souls are sick and souls in the dark are undone. I said, I shall miss the light, and friends will miss me, they say. He answered, choose tonight, if I am to miss you or they. I pleaded for time to be given, and he said, is it hard to decide? It will not seem hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide. 
I cast one look to the fields and then set my face to the town. I said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? Then into his hands went mine, and into the darkness came he. And I walk in the light divine, the path I had feared to see. Trusting God to use hardship and pain and our shame and our brokenness and our detours and our everything is terrifying. It's walking into dark places where it's scary, where people will judge us, where we'll have to say things that we don't want to say or forgive people we don't want to forgive or let go of bitterness and anger that we've held on to for so long that it's become an old friend. But to know Christ intimately, to achieve the crown in eternity, sometimes it means walking into dark places, even if those dark places are in our own hearts. My challenge for you today is, in your today, in your tomorrow, in your detours, in your Billy from Family Circus moments, only hopefully funnier, figure out where God is sending you and go. Take his hand and go into the dark places and shine a light. Be Jesus to the people you meet. Let Jesus shine a light on your brokenness and heal you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that uh, this tiny little bit of the book of Acts that I've kind of picked out, that it would have represented your heart, that it would have spoken the truth of how you handle us as people that it would have spoken to folks in the room today, that they would have been able to look at their own lives and say, I, I need to trust God in this. I need to let go of this circumstance. I need to accept that God might be moving in a way that will change me. I need to be shaped. I need to be directed where I'm afraid to go. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray your spirit spoke in a mighty way. And I pray that we would pray that we would answer the call to trustfully surrender to your detours and diversions and side quests. Amen. Have a good Sunday, folks.